0: Hi! Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show Podcast. On this episode, we talk to Derek Taylor, voice of the Bombers, on the fact that there is no training camp right now because there's no CBA. It's a lot of fun. Also, Reed Wilkins of 630 Jet stops in to preview the Battle of Alberta, Oilers versus Flames. That's all on the podcast. Training camps will be in, uh, I don't know for the CFL players because it is a work stoppage for the first time in almost 50 years as Derek Taylor joins us for our daily check-in at uh supposed to be Blue Bomber training camp reports Derek but uh what are we going to call it now that there's no training camp
1: that is great uh training for Blue Bomber's training camp reports can I can I get away with that or I don't uh I don't know I was telling the gang on the uh the start this morning uh you you've probably seen the date 1974 was the last time there was a player strike or a strike in the CFL. Uh huh. That was Bob Irving's first year calling football games. By the way.
0: Oh, I see. I so it's your fault.
1: I I don't know what that says about what's go, what's going on, but that's a that's a pretty neat coincidence. Um, yeah, this is uh, unfortunate. At least you know. I got to, this morning, go see that uh, the Bombers, they're all kicking. They all look like they're healthy, and everybody looks like they're in good shape, and their beards are glorious. But uh, it it is kind of disheartening that, you know, day two of training camp, and they're not talking, and we haven't heard that they plan to talk yet.
0: So explain what the Bombers are actually doing right now. it it kind of just like a a loose thing to just do something?
1: Well, it you you'd think it is to some degree loose but if you've been to pretend you've been to bombers training camp and i know a bunch of people listening you know are bomber fans and and would go to training camp this looked like that except for the fact there were no coaches there and you know the there wasn't the same equipment that they would have there the equipment was getting cleared off the field because you know the bombers want want their equipment and don't necessarily want the players using it don't want anybody getting hurt on it and having stuff happen there, but yeah, they were in their, their groups, receivers were here, linebackers, defensive backs, linemen, and they were going through, you know, some of the drills that, that they would if coaches were there uh like stanley bryant jamarcus hardrick were kind of leading the offensive linemen. zach was leading the quarterback shane goche the linebacker had a clipboard and was calling out formations and plays and stuff for defensive backs against uh, receivers Uh, the kickers were doing what kickers do which during practice isn't a whole lot except make sure they're good to go uh it, it looked a lot like a regular training camp practice except for the fact not not as intense no equipment and no coaches
0: so is that a product of there's so many veterans on this team that they can almost coach themselves?
1: I there's probably a lot to that, right? These guys uh, for like football and probably I mean all sports probably put in this are a routine, right? You you get used to the routine, and we're here at this time, and we practice for this long, and we go in segments like uh, a bomber practice. Hey, the whistle goes. Now we're into something else. Hey, the whistle goes. We're on to something else. According to a pretty tight schedule that the coaches and the staff have have concocted so i, I assume it's that these guys are, are used to exactly this so you know what uh, hey we know the season is coming at some point uh we want to be prepared for it so why don't we get together and get prepared and and i mean it can't help i mean honestly as someone said to me the guys are probably kind of bored they're they're here they're in winnipeg uh their their uh, rooms and their food is being paid for by the bombers uh what else are they going to do why not go and practice the thing they know and they know they love
0: So the question now is, Derek, where are we on the talks for the labor discussions and how soon do they need to get things done if we don't want postponements to happen?
1: Well, yeah, that becomes the interesting question because, as we all know, the Bombers' first preseason game was to be in that weird week one of preseason Monday, like a week from today. TSN's Dave Naylor was the first one that I saw put it out said, if there isn't a CBA by Wednesday that that preseason game is going to be called off because it's just too little time. The, the bombers would be sending, you know, their younger players and their backups, leaving their veterans at home for a game like that, right? That's traditionally what teams do play your starters in the home game and then put your other guys in a road game and have them fight for spots. So it would be really tough to send, you know, first year players and first year bombers into a game situation on just one or two or even three days practice. So uh, Naylor says if no practice by Wednesday, that game is called off. And then we start to look toward uh, the game next Friday. And you think, well, if Wednesday is Monday, is, is Friday's game contingent on the CBA being in place by next Sunday? And then, then the breath holding begins. Uh, I, as you look at it, Christian, I don't know wh- where you are, but I, I really don't think there's a place to pick up that that preseason game if it doesn't happen next Monday.
0: No, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna worry about the preseason so much. I I, I just we're so uh, recently attached to the baseball work stoppage where they end up missing mm. no regular season time. It just got moved back a week, and spring training started late. So I don't know if that it's it's different with baseball because you've got a thousand games a year for every team to play. And you've got every day you're playing anyway. Football is different because you're only playing once a week. And I feel like the schedule is a lot more set in stone as it is. The league just cannot afford to miss any games. Right. And I feel like there needs to be discussions happening. I don't mm-hmm. think there are any right now. That seems to be something that's lacking. Right.
1: Yeah, there there are no discussions, as we know. Uh, we were talking with Adam Big Hill; he was also on the start this morning. Uh, that hey, we're we're having meetings amongst ourselves as the union. I would presume that you know owners in the CFL are, are meeting amongst themselves for what's their next step. But uh, yeah, we've we've heard nothing about uh, talks to come. And yeah, like at at some point, this one is going to start to sting players because guys have you know report and pass bonuses where show up to camp and pass your physical here's a check and those can be substantial in cases and for some of them they can just be a nice you know chunk of change well okay if you're not making any money right now you're not really losing much money right now because training camp doesn't pay you an incredible sum of money it's a it's a fixed amount according to the collective bargaining agreement the old one uh but that first game some guys are some guys get paid. Uh, was it Lucky Whitehead? And BC gets paid a huge check on his first game of the season. Guys, you know, if you start losing one eighteenth of your salary, if you're just a regular player, now now that starts to hurt a little more. So uh, you wonder how long this goes on. Um, if if one side wants the other to start feeling some pain, it's it could be a while. And
0: that's a key difference between this and the baseball work stoppages is that mm. there's just baseball players make more money cuz there's just a lot more money in major league baseball than there is in the Canadian football league so would it be safe to say that the owners have quite a bit of leverage in the negotiations here
1: I've been thinking about that who do who do we believe has leverage it's this this is the the most unified i've seen the union right like it's the first work stoppage that that i've seen in, in my time the negotiations in advance of of last year, you never really got the feeling the players the players felt maybe a little stronger, but you know everybody wanted to get a season done. In nineteen, it felt like the owners held it all. Uh, I don't remember twenty fourteen negotiations off the top of my head, but uh, I the owners the owners want money, right? Like the the Bombers organization wants wants to be able to keep some of this. This uh, season ticket revenue they're benefiting on being two-time champions. The game day revenue, which would be substantial for what we, fingers crossed, hope is nine, sell, you know, nine sellouts during the regular season. Um, I'm, I'm curious who gets stung first. I, I tend to think the players because they have less of the money. But when you're talking about you know, it's millions of dollars the club brings in over the course of the season, you wonder when the, when the CFL clubs themselves start to go, ooh, this could, this could hurt us.
0: So when you see Randy Ambrosie and the CFL post the the letter to fans on their website, basically saying, "Hey guys, look, everyone, this is what we offer them. It's good, right? This is good, right?" Trying to, yeah, I I think Curry, you know, favor in their in their w- direction. It's a very PR move, is it not?
1: Oh, hundred percent, it is. And this is this is what draws to me. And uh, you know, from having me on your show in the past, I, I I love the numbers, right? So I had to look at that and go. 18.9 million dollars in salary cap increases over the years, and you go, okay, well, what is that really? And it's a hundred thousand dollars a year added to every cap for six years. Every team's cap six a hundred grand every year. So by year seven, the cap will have gone up six hundred dollars. So instead of five point, I, I think it'll be five point three, five point three five this year. It'll be five point nine five in seven years, and you go. Okay, that's nice, but that's not eighteen point nine million dollars, right? That's like the American lotteries. You're going to win a billion dollars, except you only get half if you take it now, and then we're going to take half in taxes, even if you're just coming down to Fargo to visit, right? It's, I, I, he, he, I think definitely curried some favor, but for for folks who were looking close at what did this really mean, what was it? Five, it was something like five point nine, five point three million dollars for uh team team activities in the community and part of me i don't know yeah yeah, i i don't know what the what the numbers are but teams already pay their players a bunch of that kind of money right like hey you're so i wonder how much uh what is it a hundred thousand hundred ten thousand dollars per team per year that is compared to what they're actually already paying guys who are great in the community in the in, in season and off season so uh, yeah, helped himself a little bit, and, and all that stuff seems reasonable. But some of it, you need to peel back the layers and know what's what's really behind it. And that's where it gets that's that's where it was skillfully done. Letter, let's say let's say that it was skillfully done by the by the CFL.
0: How should a CFL fan feel today?
1: Um, I feel like annoyed is probably the the way to go um, as a CFL fan. 2019 that season was fantastic 2020 is it going to happen is it not going to happen can we can we feasibly construct a season where I can go and not get COVID no we can't okay well let's look forward to 2021 2021 came around it got pushed back and pushed back and we're gonna have 14 games with no preseason I feel like after after the Grey Cup in Hamilton, fans were like, yes, this is okay. This is great. Um, COVID's in an okay place. We're going to have a fantastic season. COVID then makes a, a bit of a resurgence. But I think we all felt we're going to have 18 games, plus the season's going to be normal, and, and I can't wait for it. And now, wait a minute, you two sides can't get together and make my season a reality? Come on. Um, there's There's a bunch of reasons. You couldn't start negotiating before – you know, a couple weeks ago, what's what what's wrong with you guys? What's wrong with all of you? So uh, whatever side, I think fans are probably, I'm guessing pretty evenly split, but uh, for the most part annoyed in why, why isn't this done? Why wasn't this done in advance of this? I wanted to be there on Sunday, you know, taking in some of the, you know, I wish it was sunshine, but it wasn't particularly sunny, uh, taking in some of the sunshine and watching my team compete. And I want to see my new guy. I want to see Greg Ellingson. How does he fit in with Zach Caleros again? La, la, la. So, yeah, uh, annoyed at this point, I think, was probably where fans are, whatever side they side with.
0: Well, and even if you're not on a side, right? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't really feel like I'm on a side on this. I just, I'm on the side of, can we please have football? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is is totally understandable. Yeah, it's, you know, businesses got to take care of themselves and make sure they're viable in the long term. Players know, hey, I have a, I have a short shelf life, and, and I would like to be safe and get paid. And, and I get all, I absolutely, totally understand all that. But fans have to be a part of this too, of like, hey, I want to see my team. I want to see my guys go. I want to enjoy my summer with the Canadian Football League. And... Can you guys really afford to alienate me or any one of the other people here in my section? It's, yeah, it's it's awful for everybody.
0: Well, Derek, hopefully we have <laughs> more fun things to talk about as the week goes along and have some pro- positive progress to report on. But in the meantime, have yourself a great night and uh, we'll see what tomorrow brings.
1: I promise not to end every segment I do with you with, it's awful for everybody. That feels like a real bad way to go out. Oh, what can we do?
0: Now selfishly, as a Dallas Stars fan, I would have loved to have seen them pull out the overtime win in Calgary last night to move on to the second round of the playoffs. But as a hockey fan, objectively, I have to admit that the better outcome overall is what's going to happen. The Battle of Alberta, starting Wednesday night in Calgary, Flames and Oilers, the first time the two will meet in the playoffs since 1991. And here to help preview the action is our friend Reed Wilkins, host of Inside Sports and Oilers Hockey on 630 Ched. Read. take me back to 1991. What were you dur- doing uh, during the last Battle of Alberta? Uh,
2: well, I was in grade 12, so I remember the series quite well. And I remember that as probably the best series I've ever seen. The intensity, it was incredible. There was all the history of them having played each other. In the previous, uh, I guess, what, seven or eight years. I know they didn't play every year in the playoffs, but they played several times. And I think, Christian, what I remember about 1991 as well is there was sort of a sense that that might be it. Um, That, you know, the two teams were still quite good, but maybe not awesome like they had been. You know, I, I hope I remember this correctly, but that's sort of. The, the road I go down a little bit. I mean, it, the Oilers didn't finish in the top two of the division. You know, Gretzky wasn't there. And I, I realized they were the defending Stanley Cup champions and, and all that kind of stuff. But it just it, it felt a, a little different. And then usually they played in the second round and now they were playing in the first round. So I, I remember being captivated by that series. Uh, I, I know a lot of the talk is around flurry's game six overtime goal and then going on the slide and then taking and winning it in game seven overtime but I, I believe also in game one uh calgary lost uh but they'd scored a goal that didn't count because the, the refs couldn't see it over the line but there was like this camera angle that showed the puck crossing the line and the 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 apron of the netting wasn't flush against the post so it kind of got caught in there and trampoline back out <laughs> so it probably should have counted and there wasn't video replay there just always seemed to be some nastiness or controversy or animosity throughout that entire series so yeah those are kind of my memories of that last one
0: so looking ahead to this battle now were people rooting for the flames to win yesterday so that the series could happen or did they want Dallas to steal that one? So they would actually have an easier path to the conference final.
2: You know, that's a good question. I, I definitely heard, heard it both ways. I, I struggled to say which one was the majority. Um, you know, I think there some people were just happy that the Orthers advanced and whoever they play, the Oilers play, you know, you got to beat a good team regardless there's definitely the the abc crowd in oil country where it's anybody but calgary and they just want the flames to suffer and be eliminated as early as possible so so they wanted dallas to win i think there were uh quite a few people me included who wanted a battle of alberta who who want to experience that intensity again who want to who want to live it who want to see if it can top some of the matchups of the past and i think also the recognition that you know, Calgary was the best team in the division during the regular season, so why not take on the, the best possible opponent to prove yourself? It was interesting, though. I, I got Rob Browner and I got a call after the game from, uh, from somebody on Saturday who said they wanted Dallas to win because he said, you know, he grew up watching the Oilers in the 90s, and he said the teams that he hates the most and associates the most with Oilers' pain is our Dallas, Colorado and Carolina, who all would are all still possible, would have at that time were all still possible opponents for the Oilers. So he wanted Dallas, then he wanted Colorado with the conference final, and then he wanted Carolina, in the Stanley Cup final, oh, wow. kind of a retribution tour for teams <laughs> that had dis, uh, disappointed the Oilers uh, in the past. So I thought that was an interesting perspective. I guess some of it might be uh, generational, but I, I thought that was an interesting comment.
0: Well, that year in 91, they did lose to the North Stars in the conference final. They beat the Stars in 97. They lost to the Stars in 98. They lost to the Stars in 99 and in 2001 and in 2003. I mean, they they had a history against the Stars for sure. It felt like they were playing almost every year. But they get Calgary now. And the matchup, you've been watching it all season. Uh, Who has the edge right now? Obviously, Calgary won the division. But in terms of the head-to-head, what did you see in their matchups this year?
2: Well, the home team won every game. Uh, the, the games were fairly – I mean, but one of the games was back in October. So, I mean, even it's hard to even lump that one in. Um, you know, Calgary won a game 9-5, and all nine goals were even strength. <laughs> you know, I think the orders had three power play goals in that game. So, I, I, I believe it was 9-2 if you look at the five-on-five five goals. So, that was a pretty alarming night for Edmonton at the time. I don't know if I put too much stock in the season series at this point. I I think that the, at least for me, I I thought the, of course it's difficult to win in the playoffs, but I thought both first round series were a little more difficult than I thought they would be. You know, I, I actually picked Calgary to sweep that series and they almost got lost to an incredibly hot goaltender. I, I picked Edmonton in, Six and uh, you know they won in seven. Once they kind of got their game together in game six and seven, so I'm not really sure. Like I guess based on the regular season standings, you, you maybe favor the Flames a little bit, but I also think the one advantage for Edmonton is is that they you know faced that elimination in game six and came up with a really good game and then played quite frankly an awesome game in game seven. I mean, without Jonathan Quick, I think that could have been a four or five nothing game quite easily. And I, the thing that to me is an advantage for Edmonton is Connor McDavid. And he, he really elevated in game six and seven. I mean, he basically had that refuse to lose mentality and yes, the whole team played well, but he went out there and led and played great all around hockey and, and got on the score sheet and just did all the things that you would expect a player of his caliber to do. So that, to me, that's what would be scary for Calgary fans is that, how do you really stop McDavid when he is that motivated?
0: Having watched a lot of both of those series, it's pretty easy to explain the Calgary series. Jay Condra was awesome. It was the only reason it wasn't a sweep, basically. The Oilers one I found to be a little bit more confusing because they looked so good in games two and three, and then all of a sudden they're down three games to two. But it was a, impressive to pull it out. I mean, it was tied late in game six, and Tyson Berry scores that big goal, and uh, the Oilers come away with it. Do you think that, some playoff demons were put to rest with that game seven victory, or is there still more to prove for this Oilers team?
2: Well, I think it's both. I I think some demons were put to rest, but there is still more to prove. But, but I do think if this would have been a third straight year losing in the first round as the higher ranked team. And yes, I know it's always close and it, you know, there's an upset in the NHL isn't often isn't really that much of an upset when you think about it, but I still think, if they'd lost three three seasons in a row in the first round to, you know, a team that you think they should beat, I mean, especially with the Chicago a couple of years ago, that it might be like, okay, what is wrong with this group? What is, you know, how come these core guys, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nurse, Nugent Hopkins, you know, now Hyman is part of that. Uh, you know, Smith has been the goalie. How come these guys can't get over the hump? So I, I, I do think it was, pretty valuable in terms of doing that. But yes, there's more to prove, you know, Jay Woodcroft used the old cliche line that they, they haven't come this far just to come this far that, you know, they know the opportunity in front of them. Um, and they know that the ultimate goal is not just to, to win around. I mean, it used to be for this franchise as they were going through the last 10 years out of the playoffs and McDavid wasn't around for most of those, but it was like, Oh God, just get into the playoffs. Like just have one playoff series. You know the the standards are much higher than that. In terms of what you said about it being a confusing series, I think that's a good point. I think it's an interesting point. I wonder too, in hindsight, Christian, if the Oilers winning those two games by such a lopsided margin, lopsided margin, might have actually been bad for the team because they were pretty lousy in games four and five. Um, you know, I think LA played poorly in those games, which led to those six uh, six goal margin of victories. The Oilers responded. I mean, ultimately they, they were the better team in the end when the Oilers played at or near their potential in that series, the Kings really couldn't match them, you know, like, and the Kings, yes, they have a lot of good players, but they weren't as deep. You know, they didn't have drew Dowdy on the back end. Yes. They had Jonathan quick, who was spectacular at times, but ultimately Mike Smith has the much better stats from that series. So I think that series was, if, if the Oilers took care of their details, they were the better team and LA was going to need a break or two to beat them. I, I don't feel the same way going into this series against, El, against Calgary. I mean, I think the orders could play at or near their potential. Is that going to be enough? If Calgary is at or near its potential,
0: how much do you love the fact that it's every other day?
2: Well, it's great. Yeah. It's, I wish it wasn't eight thirty uh, yeah. mountain time on Friday. I think it's the puck's not going to drop till late 45. That's, uh, uh, side note i guess it's, it's a little it's a little frustrating to have some of these late games i mean every series in uh edmonton la was 8 p.m mountain so i guess they're all 9 p.m or later right in manitoba um mm-hmm. uh, you know some of the games didn't start till 20 after so that was a little frustrating to have these late games but yeah it's nice that it's every other day and there's never like uh you know, a Tuesday and then you get to wait till Friday to play. You just, you just keep going and you just grind it out. I mean, it's going to be intense and it's good. It's good too. I mean, the travel's not going to be a factor, right? It's not going to be, well, the team has maybe had a, a double overtime game and then both have to fly four hours the next day and then try to regenerate for the next night. It's going to be good that the, the, the travel shouldn't wear anybody down.
0: Well, and I guess there's probably going to be a lot of fans traveling the, the distance to go from one to the other, or is it just going to be hard to get tickets to go to the opposite team's arena? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, in theory, there should, it should be convenient for there to be fans of the visiting team there. But, yeah, how many tickets are going to be available? I, I would assume on the secondary market, that's where you're going to have to get those tickets. Uh, Oilers fans generally travel well. Uh, I mean, you could hear Oilers fans in Los Angeles uh, I don't even know if I would have seen 10 LA jerseys total over three games in Edmonton. Um, so I, I, but here's the thing. If you're a, if you're an Oilers fan and you sell your tickets to someone, you know, is a flames fan, like why, you know, like, I guess maybe you got money. friends or family. Yeah. Just money, I suppose. But, that's, but you might also get a, yeah get a talking to the next time you use those seats yourself and the people around you are like, you couldn't have found an Oilers fan who would have paid the same amount of money for those tickets, but that's, what's going to make it fun. Whether there's a lot of the, of opposing fans in the other buildings or not, the, the fan intensity is what is what really elevates this. And uh, you know, the, the previous generations who have been through this will, will sort of, both be reliving it and get to experience it anew, and uh, and the younger fans you know assuming the series isn't the total wipeout for one team or the other which i don't think it will be then they'll kind of get to understand what it was like from you know 84 to 91
0: should be a lot of fun i hope it is reed we'll be watching thanks for joining me tonight and have a blast covering the series
2: yeah i'll call it anytime
0: thank you Thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again.
1: So and thanks for all of this should. So sad that it should
2: come to this We try to warn you over we'll deal You may not share our intellect Which might explain your dis-